Well, guys, something massive happened a few days ago. And I'm excited to make an announcement to you. It is now officially Christmas season. Merry Christmas! I saw your snarky post, True North memes. Yes, it is a debate, but it's a debate that shouldn't be happening. Christmas is all year round, and therefore Christmas music is all year round. Christmas is biblical. That's not my introduction. That's just something I wanted to say. <laughs> Christmas is biblical. Hey, speaking of biblical, the Bible calls you guys sheep. You know that? It's not a compliment, though. Sheep are kind of dumb in a lot of ways. Not, they're not totally idiotic, but they can be, uh, shall we say, dense. Uh, I read a story several years ago about these sheep in Turkey. <laughs> okay, so the sheep, I don't know what he's thinking, but he's like, oh, that ledge over there, I bet if I go past that ledge, there's something really exciting there. And so that's what he did. He went past the ledge, and then he fell 50 feet to his death. Well, not a big deal. Hey, one sheep, nothing to cry about, right? Except his friends were like, oh, that looks fun. And so they all, right behind him, were like, oh. 400 sheep later, 400 sheep later, uh, they stopped dying. And it's not because the flock learned their lesson and like, oh, Carl just died. Let's stop doing this. No. He's like, hey, Carl just died. Let's go. And so they jump in. And eventually there were so many of them that they, the 400 that died cushioned the fall of the next 1,000. <laughs> the Bible calls you a sheep. It's not necessarily a compliment. Some things haven't changed. You guys have probably seen this before where you saw a sheep that was stuck in a ditch and this great good Samaritan pedestrian goes out of his way to free him. He's like, all right, thanks. Appreciate it, bro. I'm out of here. Bye. <laughs> sheep. <laughs> We're sheep. Well, here's the thing. If the sheep's shepherd were in the vicinity of the sheep jumping off the ledge or even that sheep jumping back into the ditch, I bet the shepherd could have whistled at him or yelled out and the sheep would have been like, oh, what? Let me turn around. My shepherd is talking. I better listen. It really is that simple. Tonight, we're going to embark on one of my favorite books in the Bible. And the message really is when the shepherd speaks, we better listen. In fact, I just put it like this. When God speaks, we better listen. This is one of the thematic messages that are going to be repeating throughout the book of Hebrews. We're starting tonight. We're going to finish at the end of the school year. And this is exciting because when you realize how impressively beautiful and complex and rich the book of Hebrews is, you will never look at this book the same. It is one of my favorite books, and I trust after this series, it's going to be one of your favorite books. The whole point is, is really, well, there's several points that he makes, but one of the resounding themes is Jesus is better. Now, in your mind, if you, if you have just a basic understanding of the human language, uh, the English language, rather, you might say, well, better than what? Better than what? Fill in the blank. Uh, if there's a better, there must be a worse. So what are we comparing against? And that's a great question, which we're going to answer throughout this entire series. But rest assured... The point is, God has spoken. He is speaking. We better listen. And he has spoken and is speaking primarily through Jesus Christ. He has spoken through him. We better listen. 
In fact, Jesus says in John chapter 10, he says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they, get this, they follow me. If you call yourself a Christian, recognize that you are not a Christian according to what Jesus says. And if, you're, if he's speaking and you're not listening, you really don't have a, a large ground to stand on and say, yeah, I'm a Christian, but I don't do what he says. And Jesus says, if you say that you know me, why do you not do what I tell you to do? And of course, he says, if you love me, you're going to do what I say. Therefore, when God speaks, we better listen because he has spoken clearly and profoundly in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Now, before we jump into this book, I need to give you a little bit of context in the book of Hebrews. Here's what you got to know. First, the people who the, the author was writing to are people who are troubled. They're going through a politically tumultuous time. Sound familiar? They are Christians who are wavering in their faith because there is increasing pressure upon them to get back to what they used to do. In fact, the book of Hebrews is written to, guess who? Hebrews. Hellenistic Jews. Jews who became Christians but living in a Greek context. In fact, most commentators believe, and this sounds accurate to me, that the book of Hebrews originated in Rome. So we're talking about a big city here. Lots of people, lots of social pressure to conform. And for many of them, these uh, previously Jews, now Christians, who understand their Jewish identity to be wrapped up in the Christian, the Christian frame, framework, are now feeling pressure to deny Jesus and to go back to what they used to know. Why? Well, because there's increasing pressure upon them. They're being called on to deny what they know to be true from their scriptures to embrace a paganistic society, to embrace a truth claim, perhaps, of, hey, whatever you think is true, that's good for you, as long as you're not exclusivistic and telling me that I need to follow your system. Otherwise, we're good. Let's all do the same thing. These Hebrews were struggling to stay faithful to Christ. Why? Because the world around them was getting hard. It was getting hard to be a Christian. It was costing them something socially to say, I follow Christ. Consequently, these people were waffling and wavering and saying, I don't know if I should be a Christian anymore. I don't even know if I want to be a Christian. It's so hard. My family disowned me. I can't, I can't do the same things I used to. I can't go to temple anymore. They won't let me back in the temple. I can't, I can't buy or sell to some people because I've been excommunicated. It's hard for me to be a Christian is what these guys are saying. This letter is the author's attempt to infuse them with energy to say, no, 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 God has spoken. Listen to him. Don't you dare deny Christ. He is better than anything else you're going to find on this planet. He's trying to encourage you, young person. He's trying, he's trying to call you to endure when times get tough. And, and rest assured, times are tough, aren't they? It's not going to get easier probably. Some of you guys might be celebrating the latest political victories that you heard your parents talk about, or maybe you follow it personally. Hey, well and good. But what that shows us is that the world is tumultuous. It's topsy-turvy. Things are changing all the time, and it's changing fast. You know that. You feel that intuitively. In fact, you were born into this. The world that you know changes so quickly, you don't even bat an eye anymore when things are flipped upside down from what they used to be. The world is changing, and it's not changing in your direction. If you're a Christian, you need to hear this message. You need to hear this entire book because his whole point is to encourage you to endure. How? By reminding you God has spoken. He's spoken through Jesus. You better listen. I keep saying the author of Hebrews, and the reason why is because I don't know who he is. Most people don't know who he is. The author knows who he is, but back in the early days of the church, uh, we had guesses, not guesses really, there's some really good educated guesses. Paul is an option. 
don't think Paul is the one who wrote it, though, for a lot of reasons. His grammar is different in this book. It doesn't seem to make sense, given some of the things that the author reveals about himself. Barnabas is an option, the son of encouragement. He's from the right tribe. He seems to possess the right gifts. Uh, Apollos, you remember uh, Priscilla and uh, Apollos? Uh, they had, he, he seems to fit the bill as well. Uh, but one of the early church historians said, ultimately, only the Holy Spirit knows. So we don't know who wrote the book of Hebrews. Uh, but we do know that it was written by the Holy Spirit. And the church embraced this book and adopted it early on because of its incredible, clear teaching, its powerful preaching. And in fact, you should know that this letter is largely a sermon. It is a sermon that is a lot like the way that we preach here. It has, here's all the things you need to know about Jesus. Therefore, boom, here's your imperative. Do this. Don't get, don't get slothful. Be mature. Grow in your faith. Pursue Jesus Christ. It's, it's a really great sermon. And uh, God is speaking through this sermon, through this author, and he wants us to endure, to stay faithful. Ultimately, the whole point of this book is to recognize Jesus is better than anything and everything you could ever get in any other religious system. In fact, any other life that you could choose, Jesus is going to be better, even if it costs you everything, and it might. At the point that this letter was written, the Hebrews had not yet experienced martyrdom. They did experience some, some turmoil, again, some, some kind of persecution, but they had not yet experienced martyrdom. The book, the book says so. But they could be on their way. And the reality is, young person, following Christ might cost you your life. Maybe not yet. It's not there yet. But at the very least, it's going to cost you some convenience. You might lose a friend or two. You might lose a job opportunity or two. You might lose a school, uh, a school scholarship or two because you're following Christ. However, when God speaks, we better listen. He knows better than us. Let's dive into this book. I'm really excited about it. Please join me. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. We're going to start with just three verses tonight, but we're going to go really fast. We're going to, we're going to finish this book, so help me God, by the end of the school year. So I would love for you to be at every single week that we show up. And in fact, bring friends who need to know this book. Christians, non-Christians, bring them. They need to hear this. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. In fact, you know what? We're going to read just verse 1. Let's go. Let's just jump right into this here. Here's what he says, long ago, and which, by the way, if you think about that, he's starting in a very, you might know the Star Wars concept, right? Uh, in the galaxy far, far away, you know, a long time ago. Uh, this is similar. Um, this, this, this writer, this, uh, this sermon is meant to be like, boom, I'm going to grab your attention. And he does that. Long ago, not in the galaxy far, far away, he says, at many times and in many ways, here's the, here's the clincher, God spoke. How did he do that? He spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Here's the first thing you need to realize about the book of Hebrews. He's starting from the foundation of, look, a long time ago, God spoke to us, and he did that primarily through the, through the words that we read. We call it the what? Scripture. And when he's talking to this New Testament church, he's primarily referring to what book of the Bible or what part of the Bible? Old Testament. You tracking with me? Tracking everybody, okay? He's saying, look, God spoke to us, and he, he did that not only through words. We, we read the words, but think about this. How many ways did God communicate to people? This is obvious. Okay, he wrote a book. He gave us people, wrote a book. What else? Dreams, visions, donkeys. Let's be real here. Donkeys. He spoke also through dramatic acts. If you're reading the book of Jeremiah with us right now in our DBR, you notice Jeremiah had a few object lessons. You're going to see that in a few of the prophetic books that we go through. God did a lot of things to make it abundantly clear. He's talking to you. God is speaking, and he wants to be known. He needs you to know who he is, and therefore, he's communicating. 
praise God, today we have this awesome book in, on your lap that gives us all that information, but God spoke. And the, and the author of Hebrews is trying to say, look, God has been speaking throughout all time and eternity, and one of the ways he has done that uh, is through the work that you hold in your hand called the Old Testament. Point number one, if we're going to see how Jesus is better, I know you're going to push back on me on this, but here's the thing. I need you to listen to the Old Testament. And I don't mean listen, listen, as in audio. I did the listen because I'm saying you need to listen to God's words. Jesus is speaking, you ought to listen. In order for you to recognize what I'm saying about Jesus, you're going to have to grow in your knowledge of the Old Testament. You're going to have to really wrap your mind around what God was speaking through the Old Testament. I know it's really hard, and we're going to get to some of the issues that you might have with this, but just understand, no, Jesus is made clear in the Old Testament. He's made uh, you appreciate and understand him and love him more deeply because, of you, because you understand him from the Old Testament accurately. My A-push class was one of my least favorite classes. And you guys remember, I talked about this A-push class before. I struggled because I thought I liked history. But then my A-push class happened. And then I tried the world history, and that just didn't catch either. And then I realized, no, I do like history. I don't like when people make history sound boring. <laughs> I don't want to throw my teachers under the bus, but I struggled. I struggled. I thought, you know, I had no interest in American history. I had some interest because obviously it's our country, but I didn't have interest in American history. But you know when my interest in American history skyrocketed? Alexander Hamilton. <laughs> Troops are waiting in the fields for you. I was like, man, I love American history again. Like, I, I started one, I listened to the song, and I learned 1781. And I started, I started getting into it. I'm like, this is good. I, want, I, even, I even contemplated buying the Ron Chernow book on Hamilton. The guy, this sounds amazing. This guy's history is incredible. The subject is not the problem. The problem often is the person delivering the subject, and God forbid that that ever be me in your life. I don't want you talking about me in your, you know, 35 years. My youth pastor was horrible. I hated him. But I, hopefully you don't hate me, but the problem is not the subject. The problem often is the, the way that you're approaching the subject. So let me just diffuse a few things. First of all, again, we're talking about Jesus uh, is revealed. Long ago, many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. He's, he's coming to a conclusion for you. He's wanting you to realize, the author of Hebrews, look, God spoke in the Old Testament. You ought to listen to that because it's going to reveal Jesus for us. And so one of the things that you're going to have a problem with is you're going to say, well, Pastor Ron, the Old Testament is so hard to understand. I can't keep track of this person and that person and the lineages and, and uh, the, the, the laws and all these things. I, man, I get it. I get it. I get it. I, let me tell you, I understand. I've been reading the Bible for years now, and there are times that I still struggle with what it says. But here's what I can also tell you. Hard to do is a common barrier for most valuable things to do in your life, right? The things that are really valuable in your life are the things that are hard to do. Now, I know some of you guys are aiming to go to a really great school. True or false? Easy to do, right? Getting a great job. You want that C-level position. Easy to do, right? You want to graduate scholar of scholars. Easy to do, right? No. Everything worthwhile in your life is going gonna, is gonna to cost you something. And let me tell you, the most valuable thing for you to invest your mind and attention into is your Bible. 
And especially because I know most of you are familiar with the, the New Testament much more than the Old, I'm going to challenge you tonight to really give it your best shot to give your full attention to the Word of God and to realize that the Word of God, while it can be hard to understand, is progressively easier to understand as you give it your attention. I've been reading it for years now, and I, there are treasures in the Word of God that I have never seen ever until this year. I understand things, but I understand better. Old Testament's hard to understand, but Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 7, he says, look, Timothy, think over what I say. Not, hey, Timothy, I have this book for you. It's a letter. Don't sweat it. Just if you need to reference it, come back to it, and you'll be fine. No, meditate on it. Young person, one of the challenges that you will have at your age and stage is that meditation is increasingly hard to do because it's so against the way that you live. If you want to get real riches out of the Word of God, you need to give it time and attention, focused, meditative time and attention. The, the Old Testament is hard, yes, but it gets easier as you give attention to it. Well, hold, hold on, what about this? The Old Testament is offensive. The Old Testament talks about people being slaughtered by God. He sends the is Israelites to the Canaanites and tells them, wipe out every man, woman, and child. And not only that, if a woman has a flow of blood, she can't even enter the city. She has to go outside the city gates when she has that time of the month, and she can't be part of the ceremonial stuff. It's offensive, Pastor Rod. I have a hard time with that. Welcome to the club. You're not God. God is God. <laughs> Look, I'm not saying that Scripture doesn't have good reasons for, for things that it says, but I'm also not saying that it's always easy. I'm a pastor, and I've been doing this for years now. It's not easy. It is satisfying when I'm willing to slow down and let God be God. And, and let, me, let me tell you this. Long ago, at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. If God is the one speaking, I should expect, if he is who we think he is, he's good, holy, he's perfect. If he is who he says he is, I should expect to be regularly offended by God. Because I'm not good, holy, and perfect. I'm growing, to be sure, but I am not those things. Let me tell you this. Please prepare to be offended when you read God's word. If you're not offended, I don't know if you're understanding it. If you are regularly offended, great. Welcome to the club. The water's great. It's good in here. And this is why scripture is so challenging because it will humble you over and over again. And you know, I'm so surprised. So many times I talk to people who read the word of God and walk away unfazed. Like, don't you feel the weight of this? Don't you understand how heavy this concept is? You know, we, sometimes we talk about predestination and God's election, and we can so easily put this, you know, nice, tidy bow over these heavy theological concepts that we forget we're talking about real people here. And predestination and election and God's sovereignty is all well and good, and I, I, I praise God for those things. But isn't it harder to recognize that God may have elected this person and not that person? Okay, well, and we're getting a little closer to home. What if it's your mom or dad? <sighs> like, I, man, I, I visibly, physically respond to that because it is a hard concept. I have to trust God to be God. Old Testament is hard, but it reveals Jesus. The more time you give it, the more you'll understand. The Old Testament can be offensive. It should be because you're not perfect and he is. Well, also remember too, Scripture says that uh, better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. If someone is a genuine friend of yours, they should, with some kind of regularity, I'm not going to say every day or every week, but there should be a sense in which your friend is willing to go to the mat with you and say, look, you were wrong when you said that. Or, I saw what was on your browser. What are you looking at? Or, fill in the blank. 
You know, I, better is open rebuke. It's better for me to come to you and say, hey, I, I heard what you said to him. You shouldn't be using that language, bro. That's, that's not consistent with the life of a Christian. Um, that's open rebuke. If I saw what you were doing and I saw, oh, man, look, he's totally going astray. No big deal. I'm just going to sit over here and just critically judge him on the inside and not say a word. That's not loving. The Bible loves because it's, expre- it's an expression of God's love for us. And so the Bible will regularly offend us and call us to task. Also, uh, Old Testament is boring. Here's another thing you might say to yourself, or at least mumble under your breath, because you may not say this out loud in respectable circles like this. But if you're bored by God, I promise you the problem is you. <laughs> if you're bored by God, it's because you're not thinking. Um, I promise you this. You go spend, spend, pick a person in the room and go spend time with them at the AV Town Center but don't engage them. Just sit there across from them, look at them, but don't engage them. You're never going to find them fascinating, unless they're a really attractive person, but that'll get boring at some point. To really appreciate and enjoy someone, you have to get to know them beyond the superficiality. Many of you guys know God only through the covers of your Bible, or for some of you who are, you know, using only the app, you know this, the tap, oh, there's my Bible app, boom. Open it, close it, I got my street kept, I'm good. Old Testament is not boring. Um, it's only boring if you don't take the time to spend engaging with it. Think about this. Uh, Psalm 119, the psalmist says, and, and listen to this. Oh, how I love your law. How do you finish that sentence? Oh, how I love, I mean, Xbox, tacos, I mean, whatever it is. My, my point is, the psalmist utters this about God's word. When's the last time you said that? Maybe never. Here's what I want you to see about this, though. One of the defining marks of a Christian is a willingness and an obedience to engage in the word of God, and like a newborn loves mother's milk, Christians love God's word. It's natural to being born again. It comes with the turf. If you're a Christian, a love for God's word comes to the territory. Does that mean you never have to work for it? No. Sometimes the baby has to work extra hard to get the milk. But in the same way, Christians thrive on it. We love it. It just takes time, guys. It takes effort. The Old Testament is not boring. There can be boring parts. The, the genealogies can be boring if you're not thinking. And it, it requires a sense on your part to be committed to it. Okay. Verse 1, long ago, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Okay, so he's setting this trajectory here, the table. Hey, God has spoken. He's done it in a lot of different ways. But now, now, the crescendo in these last days, in in the time that we now live in, he has spoken to us by his son. Who is his son? Well, this is the one who was appointed the heir of all things. He's the one who is going to receive all of creation as his inheritance, and through whom also God the Father created the world. So God created the world through the active agency of Jesus Christ, his son. It would be, I heard this good example, it'd be like a contractor, um, Gomez and Sons, right? So I started contracting, Gomez and Sons, don't, don't commission us, we're not good. Gomez and Sons, we start this contracting company, and uh, Pastor Mike hires us to, uh, to build an outside playground structure. So Gomez and Sons, right, it's my business. I send my sons, Jacob and Adam, with a roll of duct tape and a hammer and say, go get it, guys, you got this. Go build the, the, the playground structure thing. So they go and they dutifully build it, and job finished six months later, right on schedule, 
And uh, someone asked, well, hey, who built that, uh, who, who built that playground structure? You guys would say, oh, well, Gomez and Sons. Uh, Rod did. Rod, Pastor Rod did. He's the owner of the business. Rod did. Oh, well, who are those guys? Oh, well, those are his sons. They, they're the ones who actually, they did the work. Rod drew up the plans. He blueprinted it, but he gave it to them to do because they, they actually executed the work. When you think about Jesus and the Son, or Jesus and the Father working together, God the Father commissions the Son, like the contractor sending his Son, saying, I want you to do the work. I want you to be the agent of the creation operation. So Father sends Son, commissions him to build all of creation. Every atom and molecule in all the universe that you now see is the work, the handiwork of the craftsman, Jesus Christ, at the discretion and the ascending of the Father. And so he says, look, Jesus is the one who's going to inherit all these things. He's the one by whom all things were made. Jesus is the whole reason God spoke to us in the first place, because he wanted us to anticipate and expect his son. And really, guys, I could not state this any more strongly. This doesn't say it explicitly in this verse, but you need to trust me on the second point, okay? Point number two, you need to exalt Jesus as the centerpiece of your universe. He is the centerpiece of the universe. The universe revolves around him, not literally, we'll talk about that in a second, but, the, but he is the reason the universe exists. It is there for his honor and for his glory. He is the one who will be exalted by the universe. The universe belongs to him. It is all about Jesus. Therefore, you should be all about Jesus. He should be the centerpiece of your universe, not just the. This is getting in your yard now. This is getting into your bedroom, your closet, your life. Your universe should revolve uh, around Jesus. Pop quiz. How fast does the earth orbit, no, no looking on your phones, how fast does the earth orbit the sun? I think you guys got it. Good job. Pretty fast. Pretty fast. 67,000 miles per hour. Doesn't feel like that. When I'm on the freeway going, <clears throat> speed limit, when I'm on the freeway and the speed limit and I put my hand out the window, <laughs> I guess it would be this side. I put my hand out, you know, like you could do this thing with your hand and it's like, oh, that's fun. That's how a plane works. You know, you do one of those things. But if I go outside right now, I don't, I don't feel like I'm moving 67,000 miles per hour. When I do this, nothing happens. <laughs> okay, here's another one for you. Zoom out to the Milky Way galaxy. How fast does the sun orbit? By the way, that's not to scale. That's just a, got to get a sense of that. How fast does the sun orbit the galaxy? <laughs> you ready? 514,000 miles per hour. Now, if you're wondering... How long would it take the sun to orbit the Milky Way? 230 million years. And by the way, this is not the Milky Way. This is the Andromeda galaxy. It's our nearest galaxy. And it is a beast. <laughs> now, imagine with me, if you will, this absurd, this absurd illustration. Let's say Jupiter one day rolled out of bed and said, you know what? This sun dude, who does he think he is? 
He thinks everything should orbit around him. Well, I'm going to do my own thing. Pluto, you're not a planet anyway. Come over here. <laughs> Neptune, join me. Why don't you guys orbit around me instead? The sun, sure, he's all bright and shiny, but really, come on, look at me. So all the planets decide, we're going to orbit around, what did I say, Jupiter, Saturn? Jupiter, yeah, I got the, we're going to orbit around Jupiter instead of the sun. And as absurd as that would be, and it would cause catastrophe, obviously, for, for our solar system, it would just be impossible to do, physically speaking. But we do this all the time. We, instead of orbiting around the Son of God, we orbit around a lot of inferior things. Oh, I got this new job. I'm going to orbit my life around my work now. Oh, I've got this new boyfriend who isn't fond about church or whatever else. I'm going to orbit my life around his life now. Oh, I've got this new girlfriend. And, oh, she's got all this stuff that happens on Wednesday night, so I'm going to skip because I want to orbit my life around my girlfriend. Oh, I want to get into this great school, and I need this scholarship, so I'm going to orbit my life around this central desire. Oh, I'm varsity. And they have practices that are on Wednesdays, and they go until 8.30, 9 o'clock, or whatever. I guess I'm going to orbit around that now. I've got the lead in the play. And they require rehearsals until 9 o'clock every day of the week. You know, so they're really serious. And they're a really solid company, Pastor Rod. You would understand if you knew. So I'm going to orbit my life around that, that central idea, that thing that I want to pursue. Now, you know, and you've heard me say before, so let me just say this again. I'm not saying any of those things is inherently wrong. I would love for Christians to be all over the world being salt and light as we should. But there are times when, and you know this, when our lives become addicted to these other things. And you know, because I've seen, in fact, if, let me just cut straight with you guys for a second. There are twice as many students on our roster than that regularly show up here. Many of them, you used to know, they used to come on a regular basis and they stopped. Why? Because something else took precedence. Something more important to them became their centerpiece of their universe, and now they gravitate around that thing, whether it's convenience or whether it's their job or whether it's their boyfriend or girlfriend, their musical career, their acting career, their athletic career, whatever it is. This happens all the time. And I, I'm speaking soberly to you because I see it so frequently, and I'm disheartened by it, but I, like, man, what do we do? How do we, how do we awaken you to realize that you have to fight to keep gravity working the way it should in your life, to keep Jesus the centerpiece of your universe as opposed to anything else. The author of Hebrews, he's going to say some really heavy things to us, and we're going to, I can't wait for us to get to those because they're really challenging encouragements and exhortations. But he talks to them in a very stern way. He says, look, if you, if you reject Jesus, you have fallen away from grace. You are uh, trampling the blood of the Son of God. Hebrews is something we need because it reminds us that it is easy for us to run away from Jesus. As Christians, we are still in the fallen flesh. We are renewed inside, but that does not mean that we're not to fight valiantly to stay in close connection to Jesus. Long ago, God spoke. He does. He speaks to us now by his son, and that son is the heir of all things. Jesus is king over the entire world, the entire universe. He's the one who created the world. How are we supposed to respond to that? Well, let me tell you this. How would you answer this question? Okay? Your primary purpose in life is, okay, don't answer out loud. 
Now, I know some of you, in fact, most of you know the Christian answer to this, right? You're going you're gonna to go right to the Christian answer and say, well, da 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 And I'm going to say, yes, but what's the real answer for you? <laughs> because most of us operate with unspoken scripts, right? Uh, in our minds, like, okay, I need to go to school and I need to get a good education because I need to make a lot of money. I want to live in South Orange County with my mom and dad, and I want to have my own place in Newport, or I want to live in Coda, or I want to live in wherever. I need to make a lot of money. Not wrong to make money. But if that's the thing organizing your life, if that's the universe that you're circling, or rather the sun in the, in the middle of your, your, your uh, solar system, how about this? To get a great education and career, or uh, to marry a handsome or beautiful spouse, buy a home, have kids, and repeat the cycle. This is the American dream, after all. Or is it to have a good life, whatever that might mean? You know, I want to do the four-hour work week, and I want to retire young, and then live my life traveling and going to all these exotic places. And okay, or maybe you're just simple. And you know, my purpose in life is to be happy. I want to be happy in life. Your primary purpose in life. to glorify Jesus. I said this in a few different ways, and I'm trying to help you understand and put meat on the bones of this, but your primary, your highest purpose in life is to glorify Jesus. What does that look like? Well, let's, let's get super practical. Let's talk about your dating life real quick. This is not February, but February is in a few months, and I'm sure you're going to start thinking about boot your boo, or you're going to ask to be your valentine. If you're going to think about your life as a Christian and say, if my primary purpose in life is to glorify Jesus, what does that mean for my dating life? Well, uh, here's a question I always encourage you to think about. Does this person help me glorify Jesus better? If your life is truly about the glory of Jesus Christ, your primary question is not, am I attracted to him? Is she cute? The primary question is, do I think this person will help me glorify Jesus better? And if the answer is no, it doesn't matter if they're the most attractive man or or woman you've ever seen in your life? It's a clear no, because your life, your highest purpose in life, is to glorify Jesus, which, by the way, we said this before. Let me just be clear. That's what's going to give you the most happiness. You, you should know that. That's what's going to provide you the most lasting and genuine satisfaction. So in your dating life, you should be asking young ladies, does this young man help me glorify Jesus better? Young men, does she help me glorify Jesus better? If not, you shouldn't date him. Assuming, of course, your parents even let you. So obviously, all this you should talk to your parents about. But what about this? Uh, how do I glorify Jesus in my schooling? Here's a question to ask. How does this subject help me glorify Jesus better? I, I know there are subjects that I absolutely hate. I hated chemistry. That was not my favorite subject. But thankfully, I had a great teacher who made it exciting for me. She made me like chemistry. But looking back on it, I think if I were a Christian at that point in time, I could have been able to say, oh, how does this subject help me love and worship God better? Well, it helps me realize God is an, as an intricately um, thoughtful God who creates details in all of creation. He's, he's down to, I mean, molecular structures creating new things for me to enjoy and appreciate. And in fact, some of those uh, molecular structures provide me with what we have today, like electricity and, and water and indoor plumbing, all these things that are just, I don't think about it that way, but if I were approaching this as a Christian, I would say all of my learning is an exercise of worship. And for you, young person, whatever grade you're in right now, all of your learning is a test of your exercise of worship. 
Can I look at math and see God's orderliness in creation? Can I look at art and see God's eye for beauty, balance, and creativity? Can I look at biology and see God's intricate mind to sustain life on our planet? If I'm thinking about schooling in relationship to God's glory, every subject is an act of devotion to the Lord, except for evolutionary biology, but everything else is fine. Your schooling, as much as you may hate this season of life right now, and for some of you, I know you like school, but for many of you, you might have struggled like I did, going to class and think, what's the point? I'm never going to use calculus in my job. I'm never going to use whatever, whatever subject you're thinking of right now. But the subjects all point to the infinite wisdom and knowledge of God himself, all subjects do. And if the subject doesn't point to that, it's probably a false subject to study then, like CRT. All knowledge points to the wisdom and true knowledge of God. Every academic class, every academic discipline is an exercise of worship. When you study tonight, if you're going home to study, here's what I do before I study. I open up my my textbook and I say, Lord, I'm tired, I don't feel motivated, but help me to do this as an act of worship to you. Use this in my life somehow to bless somebody else. Simple as that active worship. If I were living to glorify Jesus uh, in my dating, in my schooling, what about my athletics? I called it in athleting. It's not a real word, don't use it, but it works with my INGs. So in your athleting, um, you guys heard, heard of deflate gate, right? A quarterback who shall remain nameless deflated footballs to make it easier for him to grip and consequently toss them and score points. You might have heard of a certain Texas baseball team that uses a really clever sign-stealing maneuver. They bang on the gate to signal whether or not to strike or not. Trash can, that's what I said. There's all sorts of things like this, guys, and this is probably one of the biggest hurdles for you. Sports, sports in general. I love sports. In fact, just as I'm thinking about it, I want to know your sports schedules. If you don't mind, I'd like to come and watch. Um, I will try my hardest not to embarrass you a lot. <laughs> a little bit, just a little. Not, not a lot, though. A small air horn, not a loud one. Um, I want you to do your sports for the glory of God. I'd love to see you Tim Tebow it and get super, you know, MVP and pro this or pro that. Great, praise God. If God gives you that platform, it's going to be for his honor and glory. And then when the microphone's in your mouth and they're saying, hey, you just won the World Series. What are you going to do next? I want you to say, I'm going to True North. That's what I want you to say. <laughs> going to True North, I'm going to worship with my peers, we're going to have fun listening to a great sermon. Okay, you may not say that immediately, but it should be one of your first thoughts. Your, your life is an expression of worship to God. So here's what I can tell you. God does not want you to compromise in order to do him a favor. You're not. Like, oh, I, oh. skipping church, denying your devotional time, skipping time with your, your small group because you've got this or that. Like, I know sometimes things have to happen. I'm not trying to be un, inflexible and unreasonable. I'm just saying most of the time in your life, there are decisions, and you can say, you know what, no, I live for the glory of God. I'm, I'm not going to make it at that practice. Why? Oh, because I have church at that point. And I have a commitment to Jesus that is more important than my commitment to that sport. And let me tell you, most of the time, most of the time, people will respect that. Most of the time. Your team will say, okay, okay. Sometimes they will respond with saying, okay, well, then you're not starting. Okay, I might have to make that decision. 
again, most of the time, it works out great when you prioritize Jesus over everything else in your life. God does not expect you to compromise to do him a favor. God wants you to live as a son or daughter of him, uh, of God, faithfully, with conviction, with integrity, and that will do far more for your character and your Christian development than you being at every practice ever would do. Many times there's no compromise. There's no conflict. But if there is, let me encourage you as your youth pastor, hopefully someone you trust and respect at this point, it is far better to give yourself fully to Jesus and trust him with the details than to skip church and skip every other thing that you know that you, you need to do to, be, to stay grafted into the body and get the scholarship and get the NFL career or the NBA or whatever it is you're looking for, the, the Olympic, the, the Olympic uh, whatevers. Jesus is your primary purpose in life. Keep that firmly fixed in your mind. Jesus is your primary purpose in life. Therefore, your athletics serve your love for Jesus and never the other way around. Your athletics serve your love for Jesus. And if it doesn't, something's out of whack. Of course, this is an obvious one, isn't it? You're working. If you have a job, one of the best ways, and, and let me just brag on Chick-fil-A again for a second. Just kidding. I'm not talking about Chick-fil-A. Um, when someone does a good job at a, at a lame job, does that person not stand out to you as being like, oh, wow, that's impressive. When a person does a good job at a lame job, it speaks volumes. And here's the reality. Most of you have to do lame jobs. <laughs> this is the age and stage of your life. This is what you get to do. You have to start somewhere. I was a fry cook at McDonald's. You get to do stuff that, like that, that too. That's what we all do. When someone does a good job at a lame job, it brings glory to God because it showcases, like I, I, I aim for exceptional work, whatever I do. Not because I'm doing the most important job in the world, but because I, I serve the most important person in the world who is glorified when I cook the fries perfectly. Silly illustration, but true to life, guys. True to life. Give your best effort at work because you're doing it for King Jesus. Think about it like this. When you, uh, when you serve well, or when you serve at your, at your job, you should be aiming every month to say, I'm going to be employee of the month this month. I'm going to be the best employee at Del Taco that they've ever seen. And then when they say, hey, great job, Roy Brody. You did an amazing job with those tacos this month. You're employee of the month again. Roy's going to say, praise God, I did it for Jesus. That's what I want you to say. That's what it looks like to live for the glory of King Jesus. Your job whether you're on facilities or working at Del Taco or whether you're at the snack bar at school, whatever you're doing, it's for the glory of Jesus. And that should influence everything that you do, the way that you do it. When you sweep the floors, the floors are amazing because I'm sweeping for Jesus. When, I, uh, when I, someone pulls up to the register or, someone, or the, do the drive-thru, I'm not angry. I'm happy that they're there because they're an image bearer and I'm serving King Jesus by loving this person with my work. This is how glorifying Jesus and realizing Jesus is better works in everything else in our life. In fact, let's just say that, everything else, everything. Dating, schooling, athleting, working, everything. All of our lives are about Jesus Christ. Nothing is left untouched by our commitment to Jesus. That's one of the major points Hebrews is going to bring to us. Okay, last verse. Tracking with me so far? You, you, can, you can talk to me. I can hear you. I'm here. Tracking? Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate that. All right, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. He's setting us up to say, but now, in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, Jesus, who, whom he appointed the heir of all, he receives all things, and through whom also the whole world, the whole universe was created. 
Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God. Jesus is the manifestation of God's glory. His glory is made abundantly clear, HD, high def, 8K, fully realized in Jesus Christ. And not only that, Jesus is the exact imprint of his, the Father's nature, which is to say he is God. He is God in the flesh. And get this, Jesus didn't just create the world and step back and say, hope that works out well. Jesus also upholds the universe by the word of his power. Uh, Literally, it's to say that Jesus is, uh, by his word, sustaining all the things that are happening right now. I don't know if Jesus is literally from the heavens saying, I want Ryan's heart to beat right now. Do, 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 do. But there's something about Jesus' involvement in creation where it is intimate. He didn't step back. This is not deism where uh, he spins it and then says, okay, let's see what happens. Jesus is intimately involved or he is upholding. He's sustaining the universe with his word. He doesn't need to step into it. His word is powerful enough. I don't need to go in there and do something with my hands like Jesus just says, boom, and it's, and it's going to happen. Really what this is going to point us to are two sides of the same coin. You've got the Old Testament, you've got the New Testament, and they both are pointing to the beauty of Jesus, his work on the cross, and, and why that is uh, significant for us even today. Point number two, let's put it like this. Listen to the New Testament to understand how Jesus is better. See what I did there? Point one, point three, the center, centerpiece, Jesus. Okay, I was impressed. <laughs> stop, stop, stop. shouldn't have said it. Maybe you would have come up after me. Hey, did you do that on purpose? Yes, I did. All right, let me just say this. Disney Plus is better than Netflix. Except, except for their awful practice of releasing only one episode at a time. And if you vote for me, I will overturn. I'm just kidding. Yeah, I hate this practice because They do this all the time. The Mandalorian, I was on pins and needles, and I hated that I had to wait until Friday because I couldn't watch it on Friday because they have my HFG on Friday. So I had to wait until Sunday night to watch The Mandalorian. Now, by that point, everyone was talking about it, and I I was like, I had to shut my ears because people were talking about all the things that had happened. I hated that. I hated that. However, God works a lot like Disney Plus in that regard. (laughs) God operates like them in that he drops important episodes intermittently. In fact, God has designed our human story to be a four-act drama. You ready for this? Here's how it works. Because if you're going to love Jesus, if you're going to appreciate him and get psyched about who he is and let your friends know about him, you have to understand him in the context of Old Testament and New Testament and where we're going. To love him, to know him, to listen to him means you have to be willing to let Scripture speak to you about these important categories. Okay, here we go. Let me show you. Uh, First of all, Act 1, we have creation. God speaks the world into existence. He gives you Adam and Eve. They're naked and unashamed. They're having a grand time. God designed the world perfectly. He did it to, to, to do it uh, for his glory and for the good of mankind. He makes it so that it's, a, it's an enjoyable time. It's, a, it's the perfect place for humanity. Everything is made good. And then God tells them to enjoy it and to take dominion over creation. Make iPhones, make Teslas, uh, do good things with creation. And of course, things change. 
Um, that doesn't last for long. Because in Act 2, I'm not sure how long this lasts, but in Act 2, you have what is called the fall. Genesis 3 depicts the time where Adam and Eve sin against God. And then, not too long after that, you have fratricide where Cain murders Abel. You have death, you have destruction, God gets upset with them, and he begins to judge mankind. And in Genesis chapter 9, he does one of those judgments through the form of a flood. He kills all of humanity who would not repent and trust, and therefore uh, he, he shows himself to be angry at man's sin. It gets worse and worse and worse. You see all these ways that mankind continues to regress back to this kind of uh, devolved state of anger and animosity. There's murder. There's rape. In one story, you have them cutting up the body of a prostitute. In one story, you have this man giving his daughters to these men who want to rape these other men. And then the daughter, uh, well, they, they never gave the daughter, but you have really awful stories. God, angry at sin. He's so mad about it. But in all of this, he's like, but I'm going to send you a redeemer eventually. I'm going to send you a special person, the Messiah, who's going to restore creation. And then bam, Jesus steps into this scene 2,000 years ago, and he now makes these claims about him being the promised Messiah. He starts unrolling the scroll of Isaiah and says, look, I am fulfilling this word in your, in your hearing. I'm the one you've been waiting for. So he ushers in this new phase of human existence called redemption. Jesus lives and dies in our place. He goes to the cross, and then, surprise, surprise, he rises again. He doesn't stay dead. He called his shots. He came, to, he came back to life. And then he says to his disciples, look, we're starting a new thing. The Old Testament has been now fulfilled in your hearing. I am who this thing is all about. I am the fulfillment of everything you've read about. Now I want you guys to go and gather all the ends of the earth and tell them about me so that they can come into my fold so that I can save them. And then at the end of time, things are going to get wrapped up nice and pretty. But it's not going to be nice and pretty for those who don't repent and trust in me. So he, uh, he gives them this commission and then he ascends into heaven with the Father. He says, essentially, I'll be back. Until I come back, I want you Christians to be on mission, sharing the gospel with everybody that you come in contact with. How are we doing on that, by the way? Acts 3 is where we now are. We are still in the, act, uh, the third act of the four-part human drama. This is not just a, a Netflix series, right? This is where we actually are today. We are in part three, awaiting part four, which we'll get to in a second. But here's why this is important. If you're thinking about Scripture from this black and white, like, oh, that's the past. Okay, that's what happened right now. Jesus came. and then, you're, you're missing the color and the full-featured nature of what's unfolding in the human drama. You are in the middle of God's story right now. And all of us are actors on the stage. It isn't Shakespeare who said, all the world's a play and we're all mere actors, right? All of us are background actors in the play that God is designing where he, as the lead, is to receive all the glory and honor. Right now, the hero of the story is, be, is behind the stage. He's, he's behind the scenes right now. And now we're in this like, okay, if you think about the story arc, right? Uh, conflict, background, conflict, climax, and then resolution, right? We've reached the climax in some sorts of seeing Jesus, but now we're waiting for that resolution. What happens? How does the hero save all the, all the people? We're waiting for them. But here, uh, if we understand where we are in this human drama, this is going to give us a greater sense of anticipation and appreciation of who Jesus is. God has spoken to us through him. We're now waiting for uh, God to finish the story that he started. Okay, Act 3, Jesus ends. But you know that in Act 4, 
you have restoration. This is when God brings everything into a close. And this happens and it begins when Jesus returns. He's coming back. Jesus could, in theory and in reality, return tonight. He could descend, take his people, and we call that the rapture. He could take his people with him and then usher in this new period called the tribulation, seven years of judgment upon the world. Seven years later, Jesus comes back. He establishes his millennial reign. He does this in Jerusalem. And then eventually, at the end of this time frame, Jesus wraps up the whole thing, the whole thing, by vanquishing the foe and by establishing peace, righteousness, and justice for the rest of our days. For those who have trusted him for salvation, turning from their sin, he promises life and peace and joy everlasting. For those who have refused to bow the knee to him, he promises just judgment and punishment forever. The stakes are high. Jesus is the star of the show. It is all about him. And here's what I'm getting at. He is the one who the Bible says is the loudest word of God. He is the clearest revelation of God. We should listen to him. The Bible's about Jesus. The world is about Jesus. If I looked in the bottom of your foot, it would say Jesus. Not really. It's a Toy Story reference. But it's all about Jesus. Everything in your life is about Jesus. If you heard anything from my preaching and the years that we've had together, you should hear this. Everything is about Jesus. And to live in opposition to that is to defy the very purpose of your existence. God has spoken. He's spoken primarily and highly through Jesus. We better listen to him. Here's one application for you tonight. Only one. I mean, I've given you several thoughts, but here's one application. I want you to ask yourself how you're doing with your Bible reading. This is the simplest thing. The simplest way for us to demonstrate that we are living in right, at an elementary place anyway, we're living with an awareness that we are all about Jesus. There's a version plan that corresponds to our DBR. If you're not reading with your small group, if you don't have a group chat where you're actively engaged, join me. I have a few people in this group. We read. We can engage together on the version app. But I want you to take seriously the call to read your Bible, to endure every single day. Like y'all, y'all are high schoolers and you can read your Bible every day. I know it, I know it, I know it. You can do it. You can prioritize it. Because here's the thing, if, if there's something in your life, in your schedule that says, oh, Pastor Red, I can't, I'm too busy because I have this thing in the way, then I'll say, okay. What you're telling me is that your universe is not orbiting around Jesus. You're orbiting around something else. You make time for the things that are most important. You make time for the people that you love. And Jesus ought to be your highest and greatest love. He calls us to know his word. He calls us to treasure his word. And I promise you this, the more you put into this, the more you're going to get out of it. When God speaks, we better listen. This series is going to be my best series yet. So help me God. I would love for you to be at every single one of these because I cannot wait to tell you about all the ways that Jesus is better. Tonight, can't wait for you guys to have some small groups and talk about your Bible reading and ways that you can get better in that. And please, if you would, join me on version if you're so inclined. Let's pray. 